It's our Impact Wrestling Slammiversary 2020 review show on the Double Turn Podcast, which starts right now. Again, ladies and gentlemen, it's Boss Ross representing the Double Turn Wrestling Podcast. J-Man was not with us for our preview and prediction show, which you can listen to in our previous extended extra episode, which is going to be part two, which is right now of the Slammiversary 2020 review show. It was a seven match show. There were lots of returns. There were a few surprises. It was overall an okay show. I don't want to call it anything completely special. I'm also not going to call it bad because there was a lot of good wrestling on this show. There were a few down spots, but that seems to take place on any show, whether it's AEW, WWE, or for this show, Impact Wrestling. So again, you can check out this show and every other show that we've done You can check out the Double Turn Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, CastBox, and the Anchor app. You can also check out our show on Instagram, the Double Turn Podcast, where uh, the J-Man slaying the game as usual. Again, mostly WWE content. We do put in some AEW, and occasionally we do put up some Impact Wrestling. I've strived to want to do more of these, so I think I'm going to make it my mission to keep doing big shows or just shows that I feel like I should cover for this uh, for this podcast for this great prod for this great product I should say as I get tongue tied um, that we're bringing you here today. So again, flying solo. I did the preview and prediction show. I will also do the review show. The one and only J Man Nineteen and Ross the Real Boss Eighty Five are our personal IG pages. You can check us out there. Again, questions, comments, feedback, anything at all for this great show. As I uh, mentioned in the preview and prediction show, Skyway Studios in Nashville, Tennessee is the equivalent of Impact Wrestling's home base, so to speak. Of course, uh, the WWE has the Performance Center and AEW's in Jacksonville at uh, Daly's Place, Daly Center, whatever it's called. Um, So that is their home base of operations for probably the foreseeable future as they do their uh, tapings. This was the 16th Slammiversary in Impact Wrestling's history. Of course, this company's been around since 2002, and uh, this was their first Slammiversary with no fans, and it did hurt the show. Much like most of the other pay-per-views and shows that happen uh, during this era of a virus crisis pandemic, whatever you want to call it, um, no fans did hurt some of the matches, not all of them. There were a couple of them that were not drastically affected by the fact that there were no fans, but, uh, we will look back on this period and, uh, I have a feeling that a lot of it is going to get a pass because there's no fans, which is unfortunate for the performers. It's unfortunate for the fans that are not there in attendance and are watching either on pay-per-view or on television. Um, but a lot of this time period is probably either going to get swept under the rug 
uh, completely forgotten about or just given an outright pass uh, when it comes to either ratings, success, anything you want to measure um, wrestling by when it comes to the numbers and what they normally base things on when it comes to uh, making money. So this was a seven-match card. Uh, Impact Wrestling, one of the few wrestling promotions still out there that does not do a pre-show. They just do an open to their pay-per-view. They throw it right to their announcers, and then they go right into their matches. Um, I did not watch this live. I did watch it. Um, this is Sunday morning. Actually, it's Sunday afternoon. I did watch it Sunday morning. Uh, so I did see the results before I watched it. So my reaction as I was uh, posting on my Instagram page, again, RossTheRoboss85, for those of you that do follow that, you will know most of the results. Um, but I think you should still watch this show. Again, I will not say it's the best anniversary I've ever seen. It is certainly not the worst. Um, and the bottom line is that there was a lot of good wrestling on this show. They started the show. Oh, and by the way, since I mentioned the announcers, um, they did not bother me tonight. Um, it's odd to know that Impact Wrestling does not have the greatest commentary team. They just don't. Josh Matthews, I've said on numerous occasions when I always bring up Impact, is one of the worst play-by-play announcers in the business. He just is. Um, Don Callis, as a color commentator, is perfectly fine as the heel. If Josh Matthews was a heel, he'd be much more annoying, and if there was a strong baby face, I might accept it more. But unfortunately, the problem is that it just isn't. And so you have Don Callis and you have Josh Matthews, which in it of itself is fantastic to see that there are only two announcers, just the two. Um, It is a little weird to see Melissa Santos still there because her husband, Brian Cage, now works for AEW. So I don't know if Melissa Santos is long for the world of Impact Wrestling. She, of course, is their, one of their backstage interviewers. She also hosts the uh, the Impact simulcast on Twitch. So whatever the case may be. Um, and for those of you that miss David Penzer as a ring announcer, he actually uh, brought some credibility to that position. Not that I don't like some of the other ring announcers that are out there, but David Penzer is a guy that was around in WCW for a long time, and he was around in TNA for a long, long time, and then he went away, and then he came back. So, um, in fact, if I remember correctly, Penzer joined, yeah, Penzer came in in 2006. And then he was released in 2010, and then he came back in 2017, and then he officially came back in March of this year. And apparently he does real estate on the side. So I realize that was probably way more information you ever wanted about David Penzer. Uh, For those of you that are WCW fans, you would know him as the guy that was the ring announcer, unless it was Michael Buffer doing it during the late 90s. Um, So he's got a really good voice for it. 
I actually thought it added to the show. I know it's a little thing, and I've talked about it for two minutes. I just wanted to put that in there, that David Penzer being on this show was a good thing. The Rascals, represented by Zachary Wentz and Desmond Xavier, had an open challenge for their tag team match. It did open the show. There was a lot of speculation as to who this was going to be. Uh, I mentioned Team XXSL, uh, which is Larry D and AC Romero, two super, super heavyweights. I also mentioned this might be a spot for Gallows and Anderson. It was neither of them. It was the returning Motor City Machine Guns. Yes, Alex Shelley and Chris Sabin made their return to Impact Wrestling on this show. This match was given just north of 14 minutes. Um, Alex Shelley looked really good in this match. Uh, if you've watched Impact Wrestling, Zachary Wentz and Desmond Xavier, along with uh, Trey Miguel, who we'll talk about later in the show because he was in the main event, um, they're just a bunch of high flyers. They're very fast-paced, lots of action, lots of flips. Uh, they do a lot of six-man tags. They, they they kind of interchange with their tag team wrestling. If you like fast-paced small guys that do lots of flips, you will like the Rascals. I don't know if they're anything special, but athletically they are very gifted. Um, and as I said, Alex Shelley looked very good. The only reason why I will say Chris Saban was not as crisp as most people would like to remember Chris Saban by is, uh, well, Chris Saban had uh, two really really bad injuries um, to his knees, actually. So Father Time has finally caught up to Chris Saban in that he is officially really slowing down. Now, did he do his best? Absolutely. Uh, did I did I really think Chris Saban took away from the match? No, I didn't. Um, I thought he fit in just fine. Um, and it was nice to have one guy that would be a little slower paced in the match. The Rascals tend to be just crazy all the time, so it's nice to kind of have something slow down the match. Uh, Shelly and Saban won, of course. I would not expect the returning Motor City Machine Guns, who were one of the most overacts in TNA and Impact Wrestling for years. Um, they finally push, pushed Chris Saban as a singles. After they pushed both of them separately, and then they were massively over as a tag team, and then... Much like a lot of different groups in that company, including the Young Bucks, um, they were never really pushed appropriately. They had a really good series with Team 3D, and I believe they had a really good series against Beer Money, and that's about it. And by the way, that's nothing to shrug about because Team 3D, a.k.a. the Dudleys, and Beer Money, Robert Roode and James Storm, we're two of the best tag teams TNA and Impact Wrestling have ever had. If you hear me keep saying TNA and Impact Wrestling, it's because they're the same company, but yet the TNA world title was on the line in this match. So I feel like I have to reference the fact that Impact Wrestling, which used to be called Total Nonstop Action Wrestling, or TNA, are indeed the same company. So, it was a 14-minute match. It was a good suffice opener. We had Moose taking on Tommy Dreamer in an old-school rules match for the TNA World Heavyweight title. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, Ross, why is the World Heavyweight title match the second match on the card? 
as I explained in the preview and prediction show, the storyline is that Moose won a match that involved two other men. One of them does not work for this company anymore. He won the match and won the vacated world title that was not the vacated world title. So he won a match where he became the world heavyweight champion, but the world heavyweight champion had not been stripped of her title yet. And yes, if you're confused, Tessa Blanchard did hold the world heavyweight title for Impact Wrestling. So, needless to say, the storyline is that Moose believes he is the world champion, and he bought out the old TNA World Heavyweight Championship, and he is defending it. Why this company is allowing a guy to defend a belt that they do not recognize, I have no idea. But that's the storyline. So I hope there's a payoff that involves Moose getting a world title shot against somebody and then, quote-unquote, unifying the belts. That would be the only thing that makes sense, which Moose being a world champion could work. In fact, it will work if they do it correctly. So he and Tommy Dreamer had a match. It was basically an ECW-style, no-disqualification, weapons, no-rules match. Um, The fact that there was no crowd hurt this, although if there was a crowd, I don't know if they really would have cared. It was basically Moose speeding up Tommy Dreamer for about 10 minutes, him using the spear and pinning him. Not much to it. It was an 11-minute match, and uh, Moose defends his TNA World Heavyweight Championship. By the way, it was an unsanctioned match. So we had a match that didn't count, that they still allowed on their pay-per-view for a belt that they don't recognize. I really hope there's a plan for this. I do, because Moose is excellent. I realize he's been beating up Ken Shamrock and Tommy Dreamer and a bunch of other old guys, but I hope there's a plan for this. I should trust it because at least Scott Demore's involved. But nevertheless, Moose wins the match and retains his TNA World Heavyweight Championship. Next up was the gauntlet for the gold match to determine the number one contender for the Impact Knockouts Championship. There was an Impact Knockouts Championship match later on in the night. The winner of this gauntlet match would go up against the winner of that match. Tasha Steeles and Kylie Ray started the match at one and two. The other other competitors were Alicia Edwards, Havoc, Katie Forbes, the returning Katie Forbes, Kiara Hogan, who Kiara Hogan and Katie Forbes had a twerking session in the middle of the ring. It was a bit distracting, I'm not going to lie. Kimberly, um, Nevaeh, Madison Rain, Rosemary, Susie, and yes, Taya Valkyrie was also in the match, and John E. Bravo, or Johnny Bravo, the uh, guy that hangs out with Taya Valkyrie, he was also in the match, dressed up as Taya Valkyrie and Rosemary. It was very odd. It was very Santino spoof-esque. It was not funny. And it was totally unnecessary. That being said, 
Uh, I believe the final four were Kimberly, Rosemary, Taya Valkyrie, and Kylie Ray. So uh, Kimberly was eliminated by Kylie Ray. Yes, I know. It's very confusing. There's too many E's and Y's and Lee's in this match. Kylie, Kimberly, Rosemary, Valkyrie. I know. It's very confusing sometimes. Rosemary was dumped by Taya Valkyrie, so we had the match that I predicted, which was Kylie Ray versus Taya Valkyrie. So this gauntlet match, the rules were, and this has been the rules for TNA and Impact the whole time, they have a gauntlet match where it's over the top, Battle Royal, until it gets down to the last two, and then the last two have a match to determine the winner instead of it being Royal Rumble style where you it's an over-the-top battle royal until there's one person left. So, it's different. I'm okay with it. However, the one-on-one match between Kylie Ray and Taya Valkyrie went about two minutes. Taya Valkyrie went for her finisher. Kylie Ray got out of it, hit her finisher, and won. So, yes, I did make the correct prediction in Kylie Ray beating Taya Valkyrie to become the number one contender I would have liked a longer match. That's all I'm saying. Um, most battle royals are not good. This one was not good. However, it got down to the two people it needed to get down to, and the person, and then Kylie just won very quickly. So it sets up a very interesting knockouts championship match. We'll see where they go with it. It's a matchup that uh, I think I think a lot of people want to see, which we'll get to that once I get to the uh, Impact Knockouts Championship match. So this was not off to a great start. We had a very good tag team match. We had not a great old school rules match for the TNA World Title, and the Gauntlet match was time filler. Not a great start, and then. We had the X Division title match, which, for what it was, was actually not bad. Willie Mack defending his X Division championship against Chris Bay. Of course, uh, this match was one of uh, contrasting styles, or seemingly contrasting styles. If you look at Willie Mack, you would not think that he is A, very very charismatic, and B, super athletic, and he's both. He's got that weird charisma that's like kind of goofy, but kind of like right on points. And then he's very athletic. And uh, even though he doesn't do a stunner or a cutter, it kind of looks like both. So I do have a massive complaint with this match. It only went 10 minutes. And that in itself hurt the match. The ending kind of came out of nowhere. Um, I also thought it was the wrong finish, given the rest of what happened on this show. A lot of these wrestling companies, they like to do lots of changes at their big shows. So they have like three different champions all on the same night. And I get why they do that. And in certain circumstances, it's unavoidable because we were going to crown a new Impact World Champion tonight, no matter what happened. Uh, Unless there was a total swerve, but that wasn't going to happen because, well, two of the competitors left the company. So... When you have that situation where you're already going to have one title change for sure, 
I think you have to be very careful about just not changing all your titles on the same show. I think New Japan did a show where every single title changed on one show. Okay, it's cool if it's done once and there's a reason for it. Like, for instance, if you have a stable, right? If there's an NXT show where all of the Undisputed Era guys win the belts on the same night or leave the event with all the belts, okay, cool. Or if you're going to do a show where Evolution and WWE wins or retains the World Heavyweight title, the Intercontinental title, and the tag team belts, that makes sense. When you when you just change titles to change titles just because, I think it loses some of that, which is why I thought, okay, Willie Mack's probably going to retain, Chris Bay's going to have him beat, and Willie Mack's going to do something nefarious, pull off a win, they'll have a rematch, It'll be a longer match, and Chris Bay will get his revenge. But they decided that this was going to be a 10-minute match. It was fine for what it was, but I felt like this could have been given more time. And so, look, I get it. The shortest match on this show was the X Division title match. And it probably shouldn't have been, but given this show, there were seven matches, you know, the gauntlet match is time-consuming because you have so many people in it. You know, you have a match where there are no rules, so you don't want that to be short. And you have a tag team match with a returning tag team, so you're going to give them some time to showcase off what they're doing. I get it. But this match, I think, could have gone 15 minutes. And you still could have had Chris Bay win. You could have given us, the fans, more and had a bigger reaction. Because to me, Chris Bay just won out of nowhere, and now what? Willie Mack's going to get revenge. I don't know. To me, this just fell flat, and again, I said this was a passable good show. It was not great, but I was concerned. And I realized that you're halfway through a show, And three of the matches have not been what you wanted or needed them to be. And it seems like the first match that you thought was good seemed like ages ago. So you're wondering, oh my gosh, is the rest of this pay-per-view going to be like good? Well, I may be in the minority when I say this. I thought the tag team match between the North and Ken Shamrock and Sammy Callahan was actually really good. I know... Ken Shamrock is going to get a lot of crap for being slow, out of place, and in a couple instances, messed up some spots. I get it. I get it. Ken Shamrock is not a spring chicken. Okay? He just isn't. He's 56 years old, for God's sake. Okay? However, going into this match... You have a tag team in the North, Ethan Page and Josh Alexander, or I should say all ego, Ethan Page, and the walking weapon, Josh Alexander. I love those guys. Um, If you have not seen the North wrestle, change that immediately. They're awesome. Any tag team you tell me that is great in the realm of pro wrestling right now, I will put the North right around them. They're charismatic. They're very good in the ring. They're very old school, and yet they're very modern. 
And what I mean by that is if you like tag team wrestling with great fundamentals, with two guys that can cut promos, that complement each other super well, but put a modern touch on the fact they're great and they're not flashy and they just get the job done. I'm not comparing them to anybody. All I'm saying is if you haven't watched them wrestle, change your mind. Change it up. Please watch them. They're fantastic. Now, Ken Shamrock and Sammy Callahan were the odd couple in this match, and unfortunately, in the realm of wrestling, the theme is to put two guys that either don't like each other, are feuding with each other, or have never tagged with each other that beat established tag teams. I was worried that that was potentially going to happen again, and there were a couple instances where it was close. But, as in most instances when this happens... The fact that the two guys had not had the history, had not tagged together, did not have the continuity, it came back to hurt them in the end. Right? So they got Sammy out of the way. Ken Shamrock missed a move. They threw him back inside. They hit their finisher, and they won. Fantastic. Throughout this match, uh, I thought they did a really good job hiding the fact that Essentially, this was a two-on-one match, and Sammy Callahan did his damnedest to play babyface in peril. One guy on two. They tried not to keep Shamrock in for long periods. The work that Sammy did with Ethan Page was excellent. The work that Sammy did with Josh Alexander was excellent. When it was Sammy versus either of the two guys in the North, it was a great match. And if Sammy Callahan had a tag team partner that he would work with, this would have been fantastic. So, yes, Ken Shamrock being the match did hurt it. I am not taking anything away from that. However, if you take out the fact that the match was two-on-one advantage heels, Sammy Callahan holding his own, he and Shamrock did their best, then it fell apart, and the established tag team won. Great. It was given time. I loved this. So after the match, Ethan Page is cutting a promo. I don't remember if Josh Alexander said, actually, you know what he did, I believe. So they're both cutting a promo. They've been around for over a year. They've been the champs. And uh, yeah, they think they're the best thing uh, in Impact Wrestling history. And who pops out? The Motor City Machine Guns. Everyone was waiting for this to be Gallows and Anderson, and it was not. It was the guys that came out an hour and a half prior and said, oh, you think you guys are the best in Impact Wrestling? Well, we're going to challenge you. So even though it was not the payoff that I think a lot of people wanted, it it still should be a great match. And it's another way to put the North over again. You know, even though you're bringing Saban and Shelly in, they picked up a win. Now they get to face the champs. You have the North beat them. And there you go. I'm okay with this. Because Saban and Shelly, both good on the mic. Paige and Alexander, both good on the mic. Even though Saban's gotten slower, he will fit in perfectly in this feud. And in this match when they have it. So, 
I liked this. Up to this point, it was my favorite match on the show. I know that's not saying a lot, saying what I've already said, in that the opening tag team match with the team that won that are now challenging the tag team champions for their belts was the second best match on the show. But I know a lot of people are going to say that Ken Shamrock's involvement in this match brought it down to a level that took away really big chunks of this match, and I disagree because the North are that good. The North retain their impact tag team championships. Two main events time. It was Jordan Grace defending her Impact Knockouts Championship against Deanna Perrazzo of uh, of NXT fame, in which uh, she was cut by NXT. Probably about a month later, she showed up on Impact and went right after the champion. Not exactly the same as Michael Elgin going after Brian Cage, but damn close. So this was the champ that's been the champ since January who I won't say has had little heat, but she's been champ for seven months and I felt like it's been super uneventful against the newcomer who they clearly have, they clearly have a lot of interest in like when she became a free agent, I'm sure somebody in Impact Wrestling said, call Deanna Perrazzo immediately. We want to sign her as soon as she's available, which obviously she didn't have a 90-day a 90-day no-compete clause, as I jumble over that, a 90-day no-compete clause she didn't have because I think she showed up, uh, I think it was two weeks or a month later, something like that. So the the whole thing is that she's the virtuosa, she is ground and pound. She uses the Fujiwara armbar, and uh, she was going to take out Jordan Grace. This is another match that uh, unexpectedly, to me, was better than I thought it was going to be. I thought that the story that was being told was an excellent story for the match that we were going to be presented. So the story that was being told was that Deanna Perrazzo who is a submission specialist, went after Jordan Grace's shoulder early in the match and worked to the shoulder the entire match. Jordan Grace, being the uh, fiery babyface, was fighting through the pain, trying to overpower her, trying to put her in a position to put away Deanna Perrazzo early because the longer the match went with her injured shoulder, the worse it was going to get for her. So far, so good. So, Peraza puts her in some submissions. Jordan Grace powers out of it. Jordan Grace gets her flurry of offense, tries to put her away. Peraza kicks out of it. So, Jordan Grace is like, I can't put her away. And I'm fighting through this pain, but I'm the fiery baby face, and I'm going to triumph over this. And eventually, Peraza puts her in the Fujiwara armbar. Jordan Grace tries to get out of it. Peraza hooks her other arm, so it's a Fujiwara armbar and a shoulder lock, basically. So she's got both of her arms pinned back, stretching the shoulder while still getting the armbar. It was very odd, very interesting, and I liked it. And of course, when both your arms are pinned back, you cannot tap out. So Jordan Grace said, I give up. Verbal confirmation, your new Impact Knockouts champion, 
the virtuosa Diana Perazzo. I did pick this. I am a little surprised that they are going with the match that I thought they were going to go with, which is Kylie Ray versus Deanna Perazzo. It's a match we haven't seen. It's a match that people want to see. And for the knockouts division that needs some fresh life, we got it. You got a new champion who just came in, a new challenger who's been working her way around. So now it's the babyface chasing the heel. And my only question is, is Jordan Grace going to get a rematch or are they just jumping right into it? Because you would think Jordan Grace would get a rematch and then they would do the match with Kylie Ray. Because I assume Kylie Ray is getting a title shot at their next pay-per-view. I would think. But their next show is bound for glory in October. So they either have three months to build this or we're going to have a title match sometime on Impact. That is the one thing that's good and the one thing that is going to stretch Impact at some points. When you have less shows and you have more time to build things, that can be a positive and a negative. Sometimes you want to jump into things. Sometimes you want to stretch things out. It's the complete opposite problem WWE has. WWE has this issue where everything's short-term. They can't do any long-term booking, which in a way, for certain circumstances, is great. Faster feuds, faster turnover, it works for certain circumstances. But with no long-term booking, you do have to book show-to-show and pay-per-view by pay-per-view which kind of ties your hands. On the other hand, when you don't have those monthly shows, your short-term booking ends up being on television, which you don't have a network like USA or TNT to get a lot of viewers. Now, granted, Access TV is a great platform for them. It's better than anything they've had in the last five years or anything since they were on Spike TV. Everybody remember that network? Yeah. It's better than any of that, but it's not USA or TNT. And even though TV ratings are down in general, you know, doing big angles on your TV that not a lot of people see is a risk. Now, I realize, well, Ross, the pay-per-view industry is also not high. For wrestling, it isn't. You're right, because WWE basically killed their own pay-per-view business because they put everything on the network. So now the AEW does pay-per-views and Impact does pay-per-views. That's where you're seeing pay-per-views. Obviously, UFC still does pay-per-views. Obviously, boxing still does pay-per-views. So it's not completely dead. But for pro wrestling and for WWE, the pay-per-view business for them is dead. Because they just put everything on the network. It's just another show. It's basically just it's, it's, it's just a Raw with a different set. I hate that I just simplified that. But it's Raw length with quote-unquote, pay-per-view quality matches. So all I'm saying is, Deanna Peraza being the champion, I'm on board with. It's a change. You are pushing somebody immediately. She's 26, right? She's in her first reign as the champion. Kylie Ray's 27, 
right? Now, I'm not saying Jordan Grace is old, okay? Jordan Grace is 24. <laughs> They've got a nice little patch of talent down in Impact Wrestling. They do. It's fantastic. Their knockouts division for a long time was better than WWE's women's division or Divas division or whatever you want to call it. Probably not the case. Actually, it isn't the case now, but they do have some talent there. So they're going with Kylie Ray and Deanna Perazzo. I'm interested. As a wrestling fan, I haven't seen it. It's two contrasting styles. That's something I'm looking forward to. Isn't that what a wrestling show is supposed to do? Get you interested to see matches and feuds? Of course. Of course. Before we go to the main event, I did fail to mention that there was a promo in the middle of the show in which Heath Slater just showed up. Wearing a free agent shirt, which I thought that was a WWE shirt. So he wore a WWE shirt to an impact pay-per-view. I don't know. The point is, um, I think his real name is Heath Miller. Which is funny because that was the old... Didn't he? Wasn't he like a tight end for the Pittsburgh Steelers? I think he was. Yeah, there you go. Heath Miller. Um, I don't know if he's going by Heath Miller, Heath, I don't know, but he is now in Impact Wrestling, and uh, I mean, he's not young, he's 37, and it was teased that he was potentially coming over to Impact, he did have his one send-off match against Drew McIntyre, and uh, now he's in Impact Wrestling. So he did a skit. Some guys came out. He beat him up. He said he's here. The mic was weirdly piped in. I don't know what happened. There was an audio glitch. But he's an impact. So for those of you that were wondering where Heath Slater is, he is now with Impact Wrestling. There you go. So we had... The return of Alex Shelley and Chris Saban. We had um, Heath Miller, or Heath, or whatever we're calling him, debut on this show. But that was not the end of the debuts. There was more to come. Main event time. It was scheduled to be a fatal four-way. Now, very quick uh, background story on this match because it was for the vacated Impact World Championship. So Tessa Blanchard beat Sammy Callahan for the Impact World Championship. They did their small little feud, and Tessa had been the champion for a little while, and then COVID happened. She was down in Mexico with her fiancé, Daga, who also wrestled for the company, and uh, she wasn't going to go to work. She's the world champion, and she didn't want to go to work, which is her right, especially if the company says, okay, you don't want to work, but you're the champion, we'll figure something out. Okay. So apparently, she agreed to do a taping and to cut a promo for this show. She no-showed. There was also some controversy about something on Twitter and... If you want to read all about it, it's probably all over Twitter and the internet if you want to read all about it. 
but apparently she agreed to do a promo and to come to an event. She no-showed. They stripped her of the title. That was right in the middle of the whole Moose and Michael Elgin and a couple other people winning or fighting a match to become the new champion, and Moose won the match. So everybody's like, so Moose is the world champion now. Okay. So Moose will defend his title at the pay-per-view. Okay. Wrong. Because there was no champion. So the match was going to be Eddie Edwards, Ace Austin, with Trey Miguel, who had all qualified to be in this match, Michael Elgin, and Tessa Blanchard. That was the fatal five-way. So Tessa Blanchard's out of the equation because she's not with the company and she dropped the title. So now it's a so now it's a match for the vacated world title. Well, then Michael Elgin and Sammy Callahan had a fight that resulted in Michael Elgin leaving Impact Wrestling. So we had three competitors that were supposed to be in a fatal five-way fighting for the world title that was then won by another guy, but he's not the real world champion. So now there were supposed to be two vacated spots, but then they kept saying, well, we're just going to have a mystery opponent. So the rumor and innuendo was that EC3 was coming back to Impact Wrestling and he was going to be the mystery opponent for this match. Which I would have told you that if EC3 was the mystery opponent for this match, he probably should have won. So, Trey Miguel, Ace Austin, and Eddie Edwards, they all saunter out there. The mystery opponent was a guy that was seen earlier in the show updating us on his injury status. Rich Swan. Yes, that Rich Swan. Ex WWE talent, current NXT or, uh, current Impact talent that had been on the shelf for a while. He was feuding with uh, Willie Mack for a while. He was the mystery opponent for the world title match. Okay, so we're supposed to have a fatal four way between Trey Miguel, Ace Austin, Eddie Edwards, and Rich Swan. Okay, a little bit of a letdown, but. Okay, we'll get into the match. Then the lights went out. Okay. So we have the four people in the ring. Why are the lights out? Somebody debuting for this match? Coming out? Doing something? Attacking somebody? No. We hear music. And once again, to me, another another error when it comes to project when it comes to production. When you are debuting somebody on screen it helps to not have the tron with their name in the back of it be revealed if the person's wearing a mask and hasn't revealed who they are yet okay i understand will ross there were no fans there you're right there are still four guys in the ring though and even if you tightened up on the guy in the mask, they didn't tighten up far enough because you caught the fact that this person's name was on the screen before he revealed himself. It was the return of Eric Young to Impact Wrestling. Yes, that Eric Young, 
who, uh, well, he was in NXT for a while. And, uh, yeah, they never really pushed him, like, at all. In fact, if you really think about it, Eric Young's time with WWE, by the way, he was in a group called Sanity with uh, Killian Dane, Alexander Wolf, and Nikki Cross. Which, by the way, fun uh, fun topic. Sawyer Fulton was uh, was the original guy in the group with Sanity. So Eric Young, Alexander Wolf, Sawyer Fulton, and Nikki Cross. That was the original group. Killian Dane then replaced him uh, about four months later. Sawyer Fulton is known as Madman Fulton for this very company, Impact Wrestling. He's hanging out with uh, Sammy Callahan for a while, and uh, now he's hanging out with Ace Austin. So, we had a fatal five-way for the Impact World title. I know that was a lot, but I had to build up to it. So, now your match... The Fatal Five-Way, which had two replacements and a vacated title, was Trey Miguel, Ace Austin, Rich Swan, Eddie Edwards, and Eric Young for the Impact World title. This match was given time. This match was, for a Fatal Five-Way, excellently paced. And it came down to the two guys that it probably should have been, unless you were having a massive surprise. Which, don't get me wrong, Eric Young coming back was a big surprise. Rich Swan coming back from injury sooner than he anticipated was a surprise. But it wasn't like Randy Orton was debuting for the company or something like that. And even EC3, if he would have debuted in this match, that would have been a big deal. Because he was kind of a big star for Impact for a while. He was never pushed at all in WWE. So, for the Impact audience, it was, oh, yeah, that's uh, that's Dixie Carter's nephew that just went away for a while and is back now. Holy cow, that guy's awesome. Trouble, 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 trouble. Yes, that was his theme song. Better than the theme song in WWE, that's for damn sure. So, uh, Man Man Fulton, I believe, also got involved in this match. Please, for the love of anything that's holy, make Madman Fulton a focal point of anything involving a main event scene. Soon. I realize Ace Austin's tremendous, but Madman Fulton is awesome. I thought for sure he and Sammy Callahan were going to have this like long feud, and it never happened. So... Because they were in a group called OVE for a while with the Christ brothers. They broke up and there was no real long-term feud at all. They just dropped the angle. Very frustrating. I actually think Madman Fulton could have a big future with that company. He's pretty much their only monster. Which you need monsters in every company. They work. Heel and babyface. They work. So it came down to Ace Austin. Oh, and by the way, this was a fatal five-way elimination match in which uh, Eric Young was eliminated first. 
and then beat the hell out of Rich Swan. So the two guys you brought in basically both eliminated each other within the first half of the match. Okay. I mean, they could have done something where, like, I don't know. This match was very entertaining, though. I will give you that. It was the best match on the show. But that was a little odd to me that the two guys you brought in as replacements for this match, you just immediately eliminated. Uh, Trey Miguel was then eliminated. It came down to Ace Austin versus Eddie Edwards for the vacated Impact World title. Uh, Eddie Edwards has been called the, quote, heart and soul of Impact Wrestling. That's probably true. He's been there for a long time. And um, he is awesome. But I was a little surprised when Eddie Edwards just beat Ace Austin and became the new Impact World Champion. Now I know, Will Ross, you said earlier you don't like too much change on a show. You're right. You're absolutely right. We had a new X Division champion. We had a new Knockouts champion. We had a new Knockouts feud. We had a returning tag team from the past. And we had that returning tag team face the current champs for their belts. So might as well stick with somebody that's safe rather than just go full bore with brand new direction. Which, by the way, this company would be very well off to do. But I'm not upset with the decision. Ace Austin's got a big future. He's one of the best heels they have in that company. He's one of the best heels they have in general. He is one of the best heels in wrestling right now. And he's got a long future ahead of him. He's like 24 or something absurd like that. No, he's 23. He's 23. They've got time. They've got lots of time. So Eddie Edwards wins the Impact World Championship. And uh, let's see here. As I'm looking, this is the second time Eddie Edwards has been the champion. That's right. Eddie Edwards was the champion in 2016 where he beat Lashley for the title. So Lashley beat the then Drew Galloway, uh, now known as Drew McIntyre, of course. He beat him at Slammiversary um, because Lashley also, that was a whole convoluted thing where like Lashley held like 17 belts. Um, Eddie Edwards last won the title in 2016. He's had championship matches before. But, yeah, Eddie Edwards. He is the new Impact World Champion. A little surprised, for sure. But, yeah, since it, uh, 
Since it was just called the Impact World Championship, because it was called the Impact Wrestling World Heavyweight Championship, then it was unified with a group called Global Force Wrestling, then it was the Global Force Wrestling Global Championship Impact Global Championship. Yikes. So since 2018, we've had Austin Aries, Pentagon, Austin Aries again, Johnny Impact, Brian Cage, Sammy Callahan, Tessa Blanchard, and Eddie Edwards. Now, again, if you were to tell me that Eddie Edwards and Moose are going to be in a world title match at Bound for Glory, sign me up. That will be a good match. It will. They just have to commit to it. And they've got time to do it. They've got three months to do it, but they've got time to do it. So as I said before, overall, a good show. Again, uh, we had an opening tag match that was good. The old school rules match was not good. The gauntlet for the gold match was not good. The X Division title match was short. The tag team title match was good. The Impact Knockouts Championship was good, and the Fatal Five-Way was the best thing on the show. So I can't call that a bad show if I liked four of the seven matches, and I liked five of them, it's just one of them was only given ten minutes. So if you're asking me for a recommendation, I say go watch this show. Also, at the end of the show, before I forget, the debut of The Good Brothers... That being Gallows and Anderson, they came out, they confronted Madman Fulton and Ace Austin, they were about to high-five them, it was going to be four-on-one, and then, well, they fought against Madman Fulton and Ace Austin, threw them out of the ring, and, well, they had a celebration with the new champion, Eddie Edwards. So, yes, the Good Brothers, after all that teasing and all the speculation, their role on this show was to help out Eddie Edwards. So we're going to have another group that involves Gallows and Anderson where they have a third guy that's actually leading them. Where have we seen that before? Finn Balor, AJ Styles. There's probably one other person I'm forgetting. It's a tried and true formula. But they're getting a new lease on life. Uh, They were in New Japan for a long time. They came over around the same time. AJ Styles went to WWE. They immediately got jobbed out to the New Day for about six months, and they were never taken seriously ever again. So, um, supposedly they've signed two-year contracts. So, if they decide to do Gallows and Anderson versus the North, sign me up. Sign me up. That will be a good match. So, that is going to do it for the Impact Wrestling Slammiversary 2020 review show. Again, another extended extra episode for you as uh, the pay-per-view, the Horror Show at Extreme Rules 2020 from the Performance Center in Orlando, Florida is taking place uh, here in a couple of hours. So I'll be watching that. And uh, the J-Man and I will be back together for the review show of the Horror Show at Extreme Rules this week uh, for our next official um, episode of the show. Uh, You can check us out there. So, 
The Double Turn Podcast, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Stitcher, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, CastBox, and the Anchor app. You can also find us on our Instagram page, The Double Turn Podcast, the one and only JMan19, Ross the Real Boss 85. Those are our personal Instagram pages. Send us feedback, send us questions, send us suggestions, interact on there. And uh, for any of those places that we told you to go check out the show, share. If you have wrestling fans that are looking for a podcast, we'd love to be your podcast uh, of choice because we're passionate about what we do and we love what we do. So, uh, and if this is your first episode or your, you know, 120th time listening to us, we very much appreciate you checking us out. So, This has been Boss Ross flying solo on the Double Turn Podcast, and we will catch you, or I will catch you, on the flip side.